My dream is for us to have more resilient skills to be the best of who we can be and, and not live from fear, but live from creativity and purpose and passion. Bonnie St. John is passionate about living life to beyond the fullest as she has. And she's passionate about helping others, especially women, get the skills to do so. This is Dropping In from Omega Institute, a podcast that explores the many ways to awaken the best in the human spirit. I'm Karen Michelle. Bonnie St. John was a Rhodes Scholar, worked in the White House, won three medals as a Paralympic skier, and is the author or co-author of seven books, including How Great Women Lead, Live Your Joy, and Micro-Resilience. In one of my social media identities, it says resilience ringleader. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> and that's pretty much what she was at her Omega workshop on self-care and resilience for women. The workshop began on a Friday night with a simulated campfire in the middle of the room. A few sticks of wood, some candles, no s'mores. So to start, I'm going to do a moment of silence. And uh, I'm going to kick it off with a sound and then sort of let you just breathe and be present. And then I'll have another sound and then we'll get started. After the sound of the bowl was no longer audible, Bonnie opened the discussion with the key question of the workshop. What do you want to let go of? And I'm still struggling. I'll I'm going to wait. I'll, I'll come there back. were more than a dozen women, ranging from the early 20s to three times that age. They came from Turkey and Puerto Rico and as near as a few miles away in New York's Hudson Valley. Karen Bonner came from North Carolina. She wanted to be rid of her business partners. It is a relationship that no longer serves me, but I really feel like they need me. So I stay and I become aggravated and frustrated. And so I'm letting go of that relationship. For other women, it was a matter of addressing their relationship with themselves. I don't feel like I have any resilience anymore. I feel like a wet noodle. Burn the burnout. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for coming. Well, I feel like I'm uh, embarking on a new phase in my life, you know. Um, I'm going to be uh, 63 in about a week. No way. <clears throat> and uh, yes, way. Definitely way. <laughs> and uh, it's just really, I'm just now realizing that I have a voice, that I really have kept sort of under wraps for a very long time and no longer willing to do that. So I'm letting go of suppressing my voice. Wait, wait, wait. What is the opposite of suppressing your voice? Speaking my voice, speaking my truth, and um, in, in a way that's Helpful for me and helpful for other people, not just spewing, you know, anger, but being the age that I am now, realizing I know a lot of stuff, you know, that I can share that I never felt comfortable sharing. And um, 
So I want to be able to just really do that and own it. And um, hopefully it will be received uh, in, in the spirit that I, that I choose to, to give it. Thank you. Um, I think right now what I've been trying to stop myself from doing is being what other people need me to be, whether that's over listening or. No, no, don't stop doing it for me though. (laughs) 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 Just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll keep listening. I'm totally kidding. I should not do that, Jamie. I'm sorry. I know. Um, I think I kind of fall into a trap of people's therapist or um, dropping everything for others or just in general, like knowing that if I'm this way, I'm not, I'm not going to get the wrong reaction or like I'll stay under the radar or those type of things where in general, like in the long run, it doesn't make me happy. It kind of slows me down of like what I see for myself in the future because I'm not exactly representing myself hundred percent. So I throw into the fire everyone else's wants for me and, and decide to push for what I want for me. The women gathered around those candles, nodded as each one spoke, sharing the intimacy of their dreams and the familiarity of their fears. Workshop leader Bonnie St. John and I talked about that later. And I thought what was amazing, and they all commented on, was how much they saw themselves reflected in each other, whether they were white or black or young or old, that um, not exactly the same, but there was a lot of commonality. And a lot of our fears kind of had similar roots, but our joys and our hopes were so multifaceted. And so we might be more differentiated by our hopes and dreams, but more similar in our fears. Wow. Hmm. Well, fear is kind of a primal instinct. Yeah, I think fear is very primal, but our hopes allow us to express our humanity. Bonnie St. John embodies hope. When she was born, one leg was shorter than the other. At the age of five, as she told the group, she chose to have it amputated. She wanted, she said, to be able to wear matching shoes. Many years later, back at a different Shriners hospital, she counseled another young girl. I was on book tour. I think it was actually How Strong Women Pray. And I was um, making an effort when I was doing that book tour to stop in as many Shriners hospitals as I could. So I had my leg amputated at a Shriners hospital in Los Angeles. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it was everything was free. They, they didn't, yeah. And so from the time I was five... And all the way up, I had a bunch of surgeries. I was in and out of the hospital, different sized legs, all the way up till 18. Everything was free. Uh, it's amazing what they do. So I had wanted to visit hospitals and sign autographs for kids and do stuff like that. So I was doing a speech in Houston, and, um, they, and I said, I can go to the Houston Shriners Hospital. And they said, well, at the time of year you're coming, there's not a lot of kids here. It's sort of like a transition or kids are going back to school or I, I don't know what the reason was, but they were saying there's really not that many kids here. You don't, you don't have to come. And I was like, oh, come, I'm there. Let me come. I don't know who's there. So I go and um, there was a girl there. There weren't very many people there, but there's a girl there who had the same birth defect that I did. So, so my leg, um, the growth was stunted in my femur. So my femur's actually about this long. My knee would have been right here. My foot would have been coming out here. But actually, um, 
so they amputated and then later they even shortened it even more. So if, if they hadn't done anything, my foot would probably be coming out like right here. So this girl was probably, I don't know, like eight years old, maybe nine years old. And she had a walker and she had jeans, like bell-bottom jeans. And she was, she was walking and when she pulled up her jeans, her foot was coming out right here. And she had like a fake foot underneath her foot. And so the jeans were kind of covering up her foot. And she didn't speak any English at all. And um, so she's kind of staggering around on this walker and I'm looking at her and I, and I can't say, you know, hey, cut off the foot. It's going to be great, <laughs> right? And um, so I couldn't say anything. So I put down my purse and I ran down the hall. And then um, I came back and I had a jump rope in my purse. I don't know why. It's one of my, my latest exercise craze, right? And so I start jump roping, you know, and I'm trying to communicate to her that I got the leg amputated. I had the same thing. And look, you could do so much more if you agreed to the amputation. And the nurse, before I did that too, the nurse was telling me, you know, that she really, they had suggested the amputation and she really was saying no, she really didn't want to do it. And uh, so I don't know what happened. You know, after you leave, you know, there's HIPAA rules, you know, she's in healthcare. I, I will never know what happened to that little girl, but I hope that I was able to give her a message that, there's this possibility. Oh, and, and when you think about it, here's this little girl. So she had been brought from Mexico into this hospital in Houston. She's surrounded by free medical care, everything you could ever want. And she's saying, no, 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 I'd rather use this walker and stagger around, right? And we think, wow, that's crazy. But how are we, is there some area of our lives where we're doing that? <laughs> Sorry, that's where the that story's was... going, yeah, is, um, you know, are we holding on to something that we think is so important that we're sentimentally attached to, or we're just so used to it, or afraid to let it go, that really isn't helping us, that we could be running metaphorically, we could be enjoying life, we could be dancing, we could be jumping rope, if we would just let go of this thing that somehow we think is so important, we can't let go of it. In Bonnie's case, it was a literal letting go. Perhaps everyone has something to, at least conceptually, amputate. I don't know if everyone has something that should be amputated, but it's certainly something to reflect on is, you know, are you holding on to something that isn't serving you? And it's easy for us to look at someone else and say, oh, they should do that. But it's so much harder to look at ourselves and say, what is it we're not willing to amputate because we think it's so much a part of us, and yet we'd have a better life without it? That's a good question for everyone to reflect on. You know, does everyone have something? I don't know. Do you have something that you need to amputate? Perhaps it's something you've held on to and a wish to fit in, to be normal. For one of the participants... Her desire to do and be someone, as a woman, wasn't considered normal in her homeland of Puerto Rico. For Bonnie St. John, as a young amputee, she too wasn't deemed normal. I wasn't offered the opportunity to be normal. I think probably most people listening would think, well, neither was I. You know, who is normal? Like you said, I don't even know what normal is. But I do think a lot of us feel pressure 
from something we imagine to be normal. And I think young people now especially feel that kind of pressure from social media or something like that, that they're supposed to fit in. And maybe normal is some kind of ideal even. But here's what I would say is, is if you want to be extraordinary, by definition, you can't be normal. Extraordinary is not normal, right? So if you want to choose to be extraordinary, you're going to have to get out of the comfort zone of being normal. Uh, one person said, if you feel warm and comfortable, you're in the middle of the herd. <laughs> so being extraordinary means getting a little uncomfortable, maybe being a little different, a lot different, and, uh, and, and figuring that out. But if you're not willing to be uncool or not be normal, you don't get too extraordinary. When we come back with Bonnie St. John, we'll hear about her path to extraordinary, to Paralympic athlete, and how skiing led to her many achievements. But first, a word about Omega Institute for Holistic Studies. For more than 40 years, Omega has been hosting workshops and retreats on yoga, mindfulness, art, sustainability, women's leadership, health. It's a rich mix. And with this podcast, I'm introducing you to some of the remarkable teachers exploring Omega's mission to awaken the best in the human spirit. To learn more about Omega, visit eomega.org. That's E-O-M-E-G-A dot O-R-G. Better yet, make this podcast your entry point into all things Omega. Subscribe to Dropping In, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and tell a friend. You ask, am I driven? And I know it looks like that. (laughs) But what you also heard this weekend was I was always saying, it's okay to fail. And that I will try a series of things and some of them won't work. And then I'll try something else. So to me, driven means succeed at any cost, you know, like kill yourself if you have to. And I don't feel like I did that. I was always trying different things. I wanted to get into a good college. I studied hard. I tried to do that. And I thought, oh, well, okay, I'll go skiing. And I, and I did that. And, and if it didn't work, it wouldn't have worked. And I would have gone back to college and gotten a job and done something else. <laughs> um, I do work hard. But you know, there's that thing about there's a difference between ambition and drive. You can have all the ambition in the world. If you don't have that drive to, if not fulfill, try and fulfill that ambition. Oh, okay. I have grit. Drive doesn't seem like the same thing to me. Grit is passion plus perseverance and hard work. Drive sometimes seems to me like being driven, like uh, being possessed, right? But passion plus perseverance feels like uh, right work, a path with heart. Drive doesn't always sound like a path with heart. It could be somebody who's um, just obsessed with being on the fast track. It could be somebody in the rat race, whereas uh, a path with heart feels different. So that's why you don't use the word drive. You don't... Well, as you said, are you driven? 
It sounds like it's somebody else's in the driver's seat. Are you driven, right? means you're not in the driver's seat. No, I, see, I don't hear it that way. And okay. I it, that's not what it means to me, anyway. And, and so I think of many of the people I know who manage to accomplish what they seek to accomplish. They are driven to do that. It, it's like... You use yes, the word possessed, but yeah, possessed I, is more than I mean. It, again, it's, like driven to me and possessed. It's focused. It's, I mean focused. Focused. I like focused. I'll take focused. <laughs> Focus has always been a strong suit for me. When in a ski race, it could be 30, 40 seconds long, and you have to be very focused to succeed. And I, I had a, a my own self-hypnosis method that I used to mentally prepare for a ski race so that I could be able to deliver that 30 seconds to the best of my ability, like flipping a light switch. To write a book requires focus, very different kind of focus, because it has to be sustained over months. And to, But to carve out hours to write out of a busy schedule, I had a child, I had a husband, I had a job, and, and so carving out time to focus to write a book is uh, is something a lot of people can't do, and and I did. I've written seven books now. Um, speaking is another kind of focus that a lot of people are afraid to do, and it and it does require mental preparation. And you see, I speak without notes often, you know, and it it's um, it requires focus. I I love focus. I, sometimes I joke that I have attention surplus disorder. <laughs> Bonnie St. John still embodies the just do it attitude and focus that she gained as a young athlete. I certainly learned a lot from sport about discipline and um, and taking care of yourself and and uh, that you can grow, you can build something. So I think a lot of times I use the analogy, analogy is that um, uh, learning to have joy is like a muscle. You can you can grow it. And courage is like a muscle. That the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. And confidence is like a muscle. You know, you have to exercise it to get better. So uh, I certainly have learned that lesson is that you can you can grow. The growth mindset work I think is really interesting too is is not thinking about it as talent that oh you have a talent for sales or you have a talent for this, which you know, great. You know, some of us have innate abilities, but it's the ability to, to uh, exercise it and develop it and uh, hone your expertise in that area that makes it really worthwhile. And so I think sports definitely helps teach you that because you can't excel in sports without the discipline of practice. And coaches, having coaches, having people that you let make you better, um, I think is, is a good takeaway from sports. I didn't do a team sport. Skiing is not a t- is not a team sport, um, but that is a benefit of doing sports too. Is is learning to be in a team and to work together as a team. What is it? There's some stunning percentage of women CEOs. They say did sports in school. Uh, I forget what the exact number is, but it's it's very high. So I think sports is is a ni- is a good way to learn about life. It's not the only way, but it it certainly has some good lessons that that have sustained me. For Bonnie St. John, sports became another way to affirm her identity, or in her case, identities. The other thing about sport for me that was really powerful is because I'm disabled, that when I started doing skiing, I was around other people with disabilities, and I had to go to the ski area, throw my artificial leg on the ground, and go skiing, you know? And so, actually, when I started doing sports, 
dis disabled sports, it was the first time I really was openly disabled. It was like I was being outed as a person with disability. In normal life, I could wear pants, I could cover it up, I could blend in with everyone else. But to, you know, have outriggers, different equipment, and then hang out with a bunch of people with disabilities, it suddenly became very salient and very visible. And so it, it taught me self-acceptance and, and the ability to laugh about it. We would all make jokes. There was one time I left, uh, I, I came up to the ski lift and a, a guy, friend of mine, had left his leg by the chairlift and it looked a lot like my leg, except mine was brown. And so me and some of my friends hid his leg, put my leg there with a bottle of suntan lotion. <laughs> and you know, Just being able to goof around, it just lightens your load. Um, and then I also was sponsored by the black skiers. And so I got to hang around with a lot of black skiers and go to their convention. So skiing gave me access to this whole disabled world that gave me a sense of identity. And then this whole black world that I had not lived in. I had been in white schools. I had, I had, not, I had not gone to black churches. So this, this gave me access to a black world. And it's a world where in, in the National Brotherhood of Skiers, People are, are probably successful at their jobs so they can afford to go on these trips. They're usually educated. They're people who are not afraid of uh, going outside people's expectations. You know, black people who are out skiing are not stereotypes. And outside of going to the black skier convention, most of the time when they're skiing, they're not, they're the only one. And so they were, you know, it was interesting because it was a group of people who are courageous, uh, who are successful, who are interesting. And so that gave me a whole identity as a black person that's, you know, not what the media projects. <laughs> so sport also gave me to access to identity pieces that were really important. In the 1984 Winter Paralympics, Bonnie won a silver and two bronze medals, becoming the first African-American to win medals in Winter Olympic competition. She graduated from Harvard, had a Rhodes Scholarship, and worked in Washington, D.C. when President Clinton appointed her to a position on the White House Economic Council. Now she travels extensively, giving workshops and promoting her many books. Still, when she walks into a room of strangers, as a woman with a prosthesis and dark skin, she faces racism and sexism. Well, I mean, one indicator that, that is frustrating is that uh, the United States is, is far behind other developed countries. Many, many other developed countries have had women leaders. Uh, so it, it does show that there's something about our culture that makes it harder here. Um, I, I think you know, racism has been something that people say, oh, that's terrible. But sexism is often, well, can't you take a joke? You know, there, there hasn't been as much excoriation of sexism. It's, it's more culturally acceptable. So it's challenging. I mean, I, I think the good thing about the time that we're in is there's, um, there's a, a cataclysm of stuff showing up. You know, again, the Me Too movement of stuff being brought to light that is, that is really activating women. Um, I, I think we as women have to really decide, are we really willing to uh, work hard for what we need in society? Yeah. 
It seemed all of the women at the workshop were confident that they wanted to change and were willing to work hard for what they needed for themselves and what Bonnie St. John identified as what's needed in society. Among the most vocal was Lisa Morales from Puerto Rico, an educator she'd been working on recovery from the hurricane that devastated her homeland. Among the obstacles she faced were entrenched cultural attitudes about the role of women. We spoke about her challenges. As a woman, how has it been different for you, or has it been different, in order to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish? Hmm. For starters, um, not it, not just you know it's it's the the cultura machista, you know the the the, the toxic masculinity culture um, that we talk about. It's it's something that is it's really root, rooted in 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 our lives, and especially when we come from small towns. Um, so for starters, when you dream big, you're seen as someone that's not realistic. You know, and, and sometimes they tend to put you down for it because it's, you know, your, your, your main goal in life should be to get married and have kids. I say the checklist, you know. Um, at least for my generation, they, they, they added to the checklist having a university diploma. But it's kind of the way you find a husband. <laughs> so you go to college to find a husband. So I was brought up thinking and listening to different people and family members that, you know, your main goal in life should be to just get a college education and find a husband and have a family. And when I decided that I didn't want none of that, you know, I have my education, but it's something that I chose to have, um, not because I was forced to, um, then it's 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 easy. I don't know if that's the, that's the word, but sometimes they you feel like you're the. Ay, ¿Cómo se dice en inglés? Sorry. Dígame en español. Eh, la oveja negra, you know, like the black sheep, because you are not normal, because you are completely the different, the opposite of normal, and um, and I am the opposite of normal, and I am rebellious <laughs> because I I claimed my uniqueness and, and my right to be me, even if that separated me from people and and from my even my own circle of friends and family. So um, yes, it's 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 something that, that that still today we fight, you know, to actually be uh, seen and valued as a professional. Um, at least for me, I'm kind of, um, I'm a very free spirit and I like to be who I am. And, and sometimes I have been judged for it because I don't quite fit in a box. So how do you feel that you will apply what you're learning in this workshop to those challenges when you're back home? Wow. Um, I, I, I will apply so many things. Um, you asked why, the reasons why I came here, and, and the second reason is for me. Um, because of my upbringing and the challenges that I have been, I have lived in my life and all those um, um, narratives that, um, that I have, ha was brought 
brought up in um, thinking that you cannot do this and you cannot do that, either because you're a woman or because those are things that are reserved for other types of people. Um, I, I have been struggling with depression and anxiety disorder, that it's not just until recently that I actually um, acknowledged it. You know, so I have been in the pursuit for many years of something that I didn't know what it was, but I knew I was lacking of something. Um, so this is, I chose to be here because this for me is a kind of healing. And, and, and yeah, I'm not just doing it for my students, I'm doing it for me. Because um, I, I want to. I want to heal. I want to be better. Um, I want to take better care of myself. I want to love myself more. I want to see myself as others see me. Because many people say to me the, all the wonderful things that they see about me. But sometimes it's difficult to actually see yourself. Um, so that's why I chose to be here. Bonnie St. John's workshop showed how essential it is to start by believing in oneself. Even she has to remind herself about her many accomplishments, her far from ordinary life, and she's still on a roll. I, to me, I just have to pinch myself. I think I'm Forrest Gump. I saw for the movie again, Forrest Gump, you know, when he starts out running in the braces, you know, and then he goes to world championships in ping pong and meets presidents. And I'm like, that's me, I'm Forrest Gump. You know, I've just had this crazy life that's been incredible. And you have a relationship with chocolate? Oh, isn't it one of the four basic food groups? Or first basic food group. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Dropping In is a presentation of Omega Institute, dedicated to awakening the best in the human spirit. If you like what you hear, tell your friends. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new ears find us. And to learn more about Omega, visit our website at eomega.org. I'm Karen Michelle. Dropping In is written and produced by me. The editor is Catherine Stifter. The music and mix are by Scott Mueller, and Rob Harris is the executive producer. Thanks for dropping in.